Welcome to Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, a podcast dedicated to conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints here in North Texas. I'm your host, Eric Egan. Our guest on this episode is Brittany Scott, a North Texas artist who is a wife and a mother of four young sons with another little boy on the way. She and her family are members of the Colleyville, Texas Stake. Brittany, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be invited to participate. Well, let's start out by getting to know you a little bit. Why don't you tell us about yourself? I grew up in Southern California, and I come from a big family. So I always knew that I wanted a big family. Um, I moved out of my parents' home to attend BYU, and I met my husband freshman year in the dorms, but we never dated I just like secretly had this crush on him the whole time (laughs) and um, we spent the year as friends and then he went on a mission and it wasn't until after his mission when we started dating and got engaged and married and I have to say that I wouldn't be the person that I am today. I wouldn't be the artist that I am today or the wife or the mother um, without him by my side. Every artist, like, I'll talk a lot about being an artist because that just is such a big integral part of who I am. Um, But hopefully that the term artist can apply to other people listening. Um, Maybe maybe they're creative in different ways. Maybe they love um, creating dynamic food meals or a blog or different things. Um, But for me, it's being an artist. And, um, and I believe that every creator, every artist, every mom needs a support system and specifically someone who inspires you to be better when nobody else is looking. Um, and my husband has always done that for me. I can remember after I had my, my first baby, I had to give up my studio to become a baby's room. And I had kind of stopped painting as much and it wasn't as much of a priority. And, and I didn't have like a, a forward strategy on how I was going to make it work or what I was going to do. I just kind of focused all my efforts on being a mom. And um, for Christmas, my husband, unbeknownst to me, was in the garage secretly building a wall mounted easel and Christmas morning I came out and there was an easel mounted and screwed into the wall in the kitchen in the heart of our home. And he had bought a tool cart that locked up so the kids, the baby wouldn't get into it and I could put all my stuff in there. And then when I wasn't painting, I could wheel it back into the closet. And he just said, um, like I, this is such a core part of who you are and I don't want to see it die. So I think we need to create a studio in the heart of the home for you. What a special gift and to really validate who you are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it was after seeing how he validated that and how he really valued that part of me that I started to value it more and that I kind of internalized Oh yeah, this is something that's really important to me. 
Um, and that was after I had already studied, after I had already gotten my degree at BYU. Um, after a lot of time and effort and energy I had put into becoming an artist, he wanted to definitely from the beginning say, you are a mom and that's important, but you don't have to let go of everything else that's important too. And that just like really set the tone, I think, for my mothering and for a lot of things in my life. Um, another time I walked in and looked at my easel and he had cut out and taped up a magazine cut out from American Art Collector. On it, he wrote the words, you are much better than this. <laughs> hmm. And so he's just always pushing me and encouraging me. I could tell you story after story after story of things that he's done to help me early on. He built all my frames because I couldn't afford frames and he builds all my panels to this day. And he just spends a lot of time. Um, he built an eight foot tall by eight foot wide wall mounted easel system. So I have like, a Rolls Royce easel in my studio now <laughs> that can hold a lot of art. And he just, he's, he's really amazing. I don't say all this because I want people to think that they have to have a husband like that. And if their husband is not like that, then they'll never be able to make it. That's not at all um, what I'm trying to say. I, I have a husband like that, but being a mom is really hard. Pursuing a dream is really hard. Being an artist is really hard. But we are divine beings with divine missions to fulfill. And we can accomplish big things if we can find the right people sent here to encourage and push and inspire us. For me, that's my husband. For someone else, it might be their boss or their parent or their friend or even their child. But I can't overemphasize enough the importance of cultivating those relationships and trusting those people allowed their faith in you to grow in yourself and, and to truly begin believing who God created you to be. Well, it's got to be nice to have that support system right in your own home. What a great partnership. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely um, been a huge blessing in my life. Well, let's go back in time just a little bit and Help us understand when you knew that you wanted to become an artist. Where did that come from? I remember, I think it was third grade. I entered something in, in like the, my art teacher entered something and it ended up winning. And I thought, oh, that was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I just kind of always fought it. As a kid, I felt like I was smarter than being an artist. And even at BYU, I felt like, I'm not going to be an artist. That's for people who aren't smart enough to do something else. I'm going to be a lawyer or, or a doctor or a businesswoman. And I started drawing. And in high school, my high school art teacher was amazing. She came to me one day and said, the lunch lady is looking for someone to draw her kids or her grandkids are you interested? I think you could make some money and I think you'd do a really good job drawing her children or her grandchildren. And so I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, that's easy money. I'll do that. And I did it. And then 
the principal wanted me to draw her grandkids and my teachers wanted me to draw. And I ended up doing all these different portraits for different people. And it was through that experience that I started thinking about school. And my mom took me up to BYU to check out the art program. And I met with the teachers and showed them my drawings of people's kids. And they said, yeah, these are all great, but they're all the same. So if you want us to take you seriously, you need to draw some other stuff like fruit or still lifes. And so I would set up my shoes and do different things. But I, I never felt like, oh, my dream is to be an artist. I want to be an artist someday. I feel like it was a little bit more along the lines of a bowling alley with the bumpers up where I kept trying to like go out of the way a little bit, go into the gutter and and there were angels placed all along my way, just kind of softly nudging me back towards what what I believe God wants me to do. And I I remember distinctly there were different experiences at BYU where I felt like, you know, this is silly. I'm spending all this money just to do art. I should do business or I should like take some harder classes. I should do some other stuff. And the art classes were hard. They were three hours long and they were rigorous and time consuming, but I just kept feeling like maybe I should do something that the the world would approve of as being more rigorous or more demanding. And so I would like start thinking about that. And then I would go to a devotional and it would be all about the importance of the arts and why they're so important Mm -hmm. to our society and how they can't be reproduced and how we don't have enough artists and how divinely inspired they are. And so I think through BYU and through my experience there, I really developed an understanding and a love for how we can connect with heaven. And for me, that comes through creation. President Uchtdorf gave a talk, I think in 2008, to the women called Happiness, Your Heritage. And in it, he talks about how creation and being compassionate are two attributes that God emulates. And as we seek to cultivate those in our life, we will become so much closer to God. And that really struck me you know, thinking about it in that way. But it's so true. As I spend time creating, I'm able to commune with the spirit and understand and feel and hear on a different level than when I'm just going about through my daily life. And I I believe that you can do that while you're doing the dishes or while you're folding laundry or dancing or riding a bike or whatever it is that you do. But for me, I have found that spending time in quiet meditation where I can let my mind wander and start thinking about what he's directing me to think about is where I really start to understand what he needs me to do or You know, if I'm working on a painting and I'm thinking about the next steps or how to make something better or how to finish it, it's always like a struggle. (laughs) 
<laughs> but as soon as as soon as my mind shuts off and the spirit takes over and starts talking to me and I just start thinking about random things that he's directing, that's when I forget about the pain and then the pain happens. And I I think that we need that time not just in painting and creating art, but in cultivating love in our home and in mothering and in fathering and in building resilient relationships and in ministering. I have been so ineffective at ministering when I consciously think about what the people need. And I've been so much more effective when I forget about, do I minister to this person? Do I not? And I just act. When promptings come, when responses come, when I just have simple thoughts, I have found that the Spirit speaks to me just through thoughts. And early on, I, I kind of um, took credit for those thoughts and said, Oh yeah, that, that's just me like thinking about this person or I don't really need to do that or whatever it is. But over the last few years, I've gotten better at acknowledging that a good number of my thoughts come from angels directing me to do different things. And that's where the real ministering happens as well. When you have the thought, oh, I wonder how so-and-so is doing or I need to go check on them or I need to go do this. That's when you really are able to be God's hand. Well, it brings to mind that multiple times President Nelson has invited us to increase our capacity to receive personal revelation. And a big part of that is understanding how we receive that and circumstances we put ourselves in to where we can listen and hear. And it sounds like that's something you've been able to do, not only through your artwork, but but through other ways, as you said, maybe focusing on it isn't the right way necessarily for you to receive that, but more in the course of the other things that you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, and I don't think that I'm the best at it. I definitely miss a mark just <laughs> like everybody else many times. But the biggest thing for me is trusting that it's direction and that it's heavenly help and not the adversary leading me away and not my own reason. How many times do we think, oh, I should call this person. And then the immediate follow-up thought is, oh, they're fine. You just talked to them yesterday. I have come to believe that that immediate follow-up thought of they're fine. You just talked to them yesterday is in my life more times than not the adversary posing as me, posing as reason, and trying to get me to not do anything. And so I've found that I'm much more effective, and I've, I'm able to be a party to miracles and witness miracles and be the hand of the Lord more when I trust Him and when I act, even when it doesn't make sense. I think the Spirit speaks to us so much more frequently than we give Him credit for. And as I've started giving Him more credit, even for the silly things, <laughs> there have been a lot of things where I'm like, well, yeah, the Spirit told me to do this. And my kids or my husband or somebody would be like, 
come on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, this is not how it works. But recognize the source. But recognizing the source allows the source to speak louder and encourages the source to speak more frequently. I think that there's just so many more things he wants to tell us, but we have to be willing to listen. Some of the things you mentioned earlier about your artwork with the easels and, and so forth, and I think you mentioned painting. Is, is painting most of what you're doing these days? Yeah, yeah. So I am a traditional landscape oil painter. I studied illustration at BYU, and I always felt drawn to paint the Savior and to paint the stories of the scriptures to do like the most complex type of paintings that you can do, like the hardest, the hum most humanly difficult paintings you can do are historical multi-figure narrative paintings, which means like biblical religious scenes back in time where you have to figure stuff out and do all this research and people are so much harder to paint and then putting a bunch of people together and trying to recreate the scene. I have to be a costume designer and a wardrobe expert and a photographer and an architect and a historian and, you know, a, a scholar, a scriptural scholar, all these things rolled into one to really create a captivating painting. And so it's just always been a deterrent. And I graduated and then started doing landscapes because I felt like this is a little easier. <laughs> I, I can manage this a little bit better. And I spent a lot of time doing landscapes and I had some success and I just really enjoyed it. But it was always nagging on me that I needed to create work that was more meaningful to me. And my husband would say, when are you gonna create something with a meaningful story and not just decoration for the walls? <laughs> I was mm. like, you know what? I prayed about it and um, turns out Heavenly Father needs decoration just as much as he needs meaningful work. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and so we kind of would get into it here and there. So I spent a lot of time doing those landscapes. And then recently, over the last couple of years, I, I became friends with this woman who's a storyteller. And I just really felt the pull back towards storytelling and towards telling the Savior's life. So I'm currently working on a painting of Thomas and the Savior. And everybody knows Thomas, not everybody, but the the kind of Thomas that we hear and talk about is doubting Thomas. And everybody acknowledges the part of the story where he says that unless he can see and feel, he will not believe. But I've spent a lot of time studying that story. And I've talked with scholars, scholars at BYU, other scholars have just really researched it and prayed about it and taken it to the temple. And I feel very called to, to reframe his story and to create a painting that teaches people more about who he could have been. And that is, for one, we have so few stories from the Savior's ministry. And I just don't believe that he would take 
the time to say, here, now here's a throwaway story just so you can see how someone was doubting. Hmm. That's relatable to us, but there's so much more and it's so much richer than that. As I studied it, I learned that this story is actually more about what happened after he doubted. And some people believe Thomas was the Savior's little brother. So he could have been kind of saying, why me? Why am I the only one who wasn't there? Eight days earlier, all the other disciples, men and women, the apostles were all there when the Savior appeared. And that's when they received the Holy Ghost. And Thomas wasn't there. And so he could have really been saying like, why was I not there? Or he was one of the apostles. So he could have been saying, how can I testify of him if I haven't seen him? Like I have to receive that witness also so that I can continue to testify of what resurrection is. He also, and this is kind of the one that I mostly believe, is that he was still broken. He had just lost someone so dear to him. And I believe that he could have been saying, I, I can't like bear the thought if you are wrong. I can't get over it again. I'm still mourning. I'm still in such a broken place. Don't get my hopes up because if you're not right and I start to believe that you might be and then it's not, like I won't recover. And so there was just so much more emotion and sensitivity there. And then the Savior comes and appears and calls him by name and says, Thomas, come hither and touch the prince in my hands and see that you may believe. And so it's this story that teaches us that the Savior knows us. He knows our conversations. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. And he knows us individually enough to care about us and call us by name. He came back just for Thomas. How many times do we talk about that? And then he called to him and he repeated to him and Thomas walked forward. And I believe that as Thomas touched his hands, he collapsed. And so to me, the story of Thomas is not about the fact that he doubted, but it's about that moment when Thomas first knew, knew the Savior, felt the Savior, touched his hands and could have received the Holy Ghost at that time. But a huge amount of information and of knowing just like went straight through the Savior into Thomas and he understood he was illuminated. And is that the moment that you're working to capture in your painting? That's the moment I'm capturing. It doesn't say he fell to his knees. I picture him falling to his knees because when I stand before the Savior and he hugs me for the first time, I think I'll collapse. But it does say that Thomas looked up to him and says, my Lord and my God, which was, that's the translated version, but that's like the most sacred thing he could have said. They would have only have said that like in the Holy of Holies. And so the title of my painting is My Lord and My God. And it's of Thomas falling with his robes sweeping 
and the Savior, knowing he's going to fall, steps forward to catch him. Well, that sounds like a wonderful painting and quite an ambitious effort for you there. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we will look, look forward to seeing that. Well, changing subjects slightly here in our last few minutes, I, I know that for you, your perspective as a woman and a mother is an important element in your artistic efforts. Tell us a little bit about that. I have different challenges because I am a full-time mom. I have four boys with one on the way. I'll have five boys and they demand a lot of attention and love and they all have to have their special time and they all need me. And my art doesn't look the same as I would have expected it to look. But um, the question that I get from so many people is, how do you do both? How do you balance it? For me, I once heard Natalie Norton speak at Creative Collaborative in Provo about that exact topic. And she talked about how so often we think of balance like it's two scales. And if you tip the scale with something heavier on one side, then the other side is out of balance and goes up. But we need to look at balance more as though we're standing up with our palm out, raised to heaven, and we have a broom standing upright with the handle on our open palm and we're looking up at the top of the broom and we're just balancing it on our hand, trying to not let it fall over. So the whole broom is in the air with all the dusty part at the top. <laughs> and we're walking around trying to balance it. And you can go upstairs, you can go through water, you can jump rope if you're really coordinated. You can do whatever you need to as long as you continue to look at the top of the broom. Anyone who's tried this before knows that the second you look away is when the broom falls. But as long as you look at the top of the broom, you'll keep it in the air. And so for me, as long as I keep my core beliefs and the things that are most important to me in my life at the top of that broom, then I can field what other, whatever other challenges may come. I can still pursue my art and have different opportunities come my way, but I have to keep my focus. And for me at the top of my broom is my relationship with the savior and my family, my responsibility as a mother, my responsibility as a wife, and also my self-care. But sometimes, I think oftentimes, we believe that we have to be able to do it all, all the time. And there's so much wisdom in honoring the season that you're in. You know, there have been times where I have painted five to seven hours a day, or there are times like recently we're in a pandemic and everybody's home and I'm not doing that right now. I haven't painted for a few weeks. Some weeks I'll paint once or twice. There have been times in my life when I've gotten up at 4.30 a.m. to exercise. Even just last year, I was getting up at 4.30 and I was going to Orange Theory and exercising, coming home, having scripture study. I was like totally ready to go by the time everybody was up and ready for the day. I'm not doing that now, but 
there's so much to be learned about the things that I am doing. That was the season for that. But there are blessings in each of the seasons that we're in. And I think the best thing we can do is turn it over to God. Do what you can and then trust him. And if you're not feeling inspired to still put the same amount of effort into something you were feeling inspired to do, make sure that that's not the adversary kind of pulling you away and be honest about it. But if it's not, and if you really feel inspired that you need to focus your effort somewhere else for a little bit, trust that and trust him because he's the one leading you down the path. And I've seen so many times in my life where I thought it needed to look a certain way and I thought that the path was going to be a certain way and I, I thought I needed to put in 110 all the time in this area. But as I took time to rest or um, cultivate another talent or do different things, really amazing opportunities opened up that maybe wouldn't have opened up otherwise. And it's always so much more incredible <laughs> letting go and trusting him than I ever could make it. You know, we have, we all have distinct missions. We all have a distinct purpose in this life. And we don't have any chance at accomplishing that without letting go of our control and of our idea of what it's supposed to look like and just exercising faith. You know, you think about Moses and how he's standing there ankle deep in the Red Sea and he's like, this is not what I expected. <laughs> and Pharaoh's army's coming. But the thing that stands out to me so keenly in that story is that he had to get in the water before the Red Sea would part. He had to get wet. He had to be standing ankle deep in the water. And maybe he would have liked it to be a different way or he would have expected it to be a different way. But as he got ankle deep in the water, that's when the Lord was able to say, okay, I see your faith. I see that you trust me. Now let me show you the miracle. Same with Peter getting out of the boat. He had to get out of the boat before he could walk on water. He couldn't walk on water from the sideline. He couldn't stay in the boat. Like you think about the boats from back then. I recently went to Israel last summer and we saw those type of boats and we took a boat ride in one of those boats that has been created to, to look and feel like Peter's boat would have been. They have high sides and they're like awkward to get in and out of. And you think, you know, it's not like getting in and out of a ski boat or a wakeboard boat now. <laughs> he had to like really climb up and it was a long ways down to the water. So you kind of picture him on the other side, like reaching his leg over and then holding onto the side so tight, like, uh, I've never been able to walk on water before. I'm kind of worried here. Like, am I really, is this going to be solid? And stepping his toe out and like really trusting that he can walk on water. But he had to get out of the boat in order to do that. And so often I think that we hope and expect the Lord to 
answer our prayer or show us our miracle while we're still in the boat or while we're still on the shore. But the scriptures always teach us, you know, Nephi, how many times did he have to go to Laban before Laban was delivered to him? And even then, like, he had to go back into the city and then the spirit constrained him to kill Laban. And he's like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, that's like really bad. I've never, I've never been told to kill someone before. I can't believe this. And he had this whole conversation where the spirit taught him about how important it was that one person should perish. And, and I just think we have such a richness of story through our scriptures, if we're willing to go deeper and understand them better, because they really apply to our lives. Well, Brittany, it has been wonderful to have you with us on this episode and to hear of your insights and your gospel perspective on your life and on your artwork that you do. And what a what a wonderful thing to be involved in. And it's great to hear that from you. And we just really appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I appreciate what you're doing. It's It's a noble calling and it's much needed. So thank you for taking the time to do this. Absolutely. Thank you. Our guest on this episode has been Brittany Scott, a North Texas artist and member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can learn more about Brittany and see some of her artwork on Instagram. Her handle is Scott Studios. Thank you for joining us. For Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, I'm Eric Egan. (laughs) 